Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Please go to tacticalpermaculture.com to read my blog, watch my videos, view my photos, access web applications, and click on the join membership link to access exclusive features. Wednesday, August 30th, 2023, and this is episode 82. And looking at the, the last couple episodes, they've been triumphant yet grim in the sense that uh, in this last phase of the the grueling summer heat, all the compounding uh, deleterious effects on my, my health, my vascularity, my muscularity, and uh, to some extent morale, although I, I, I am very happy to say I've, I've had some good morale boosters of late. So mainly my issues have just been doing the mission under these conditions. And what that mission has really been focused on is this concept of flood sport that in some sense permaculture itself, certainly in the desert, that's an, that's a, a, an appropriate nickname because design has, has first and foremost has to be, all design has to be based on on that natural phenomenon. It can kill you, it can destroy your crops, or it can keep you alive and grow your crops. And understanding the ancient techniques and the modern tools and tactics and strategies that we can synergize with cross-cultural methods, that's what, the, that's what permaculture is all about. So I'm out here trying to do it and I'm doing it alone and I'm doing it with, um, with, at a human scale, with no budget at this time. And that could change, but I'm not holding my breath. So the, the design thinking now has been, I'm just going to design this at a human scale. And I'm going to, if I, if I break my back implementing the design... Or I get struck by lightning, or I get washed away, or something fails. You know, to me, that's it's not tragic to die doing what you love. In in the words of Patrick Swayze in Point Break, um, and honestly, he was a complex and flawed character, but chilling and haunting reminder about what it means to study freedom of the human spirit in 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 the. Uh, predicament of modern civilization so it's a it's part of my spiritual development obviously i see myself as a combination of the two protagonists in that film as being someone who's um has, has more of a moral compass than he did but that aside i do live by that i'm willing to die by that and certainly there there are worse ways to die you know to me anything Almost any way of dying where I'm at now is a beautiful death compared to 
almost any way that I could have died in, in, in any city that I ever lived in. So, statistically or by some anomaly, you know, for me here, if it's just because of miscalculation of malnutrition or electrolyte balance or hydration or relations with the wildlife and how I treat wounds and all that kind of stuff, to me that's that's real human existence, that's real life, that's real back-to-the-land, off-grid, homesteading, permaculture, survival in the desert, and that's manifested in the form of flood sport. And so the thing about it is that uh, it can kill you in the summer and it can kill you in the winter, and you're lucky if you have the opportunity to, at a human scale, capture rain the way I'm doing it with these 16 mil, 20 by 20 foot tarps that I have anchored down into pits that I've dug by hand with multiple concentric circles going down into the pit that hold that tarp so that when the rain comes, it can fill up on that tarp and the tarp won't be blowing away because there'll be weight holding it in place and carabiners and paracord attached to uh, wood anchors that I sunk into the sand and they've held up now for almost a year and uh, it was this recent tropical storm Hillary that really put them to the test because I'd, I'd say I ga gathered a maybe a couple hundred maybe a few but more like a couple hundred gallons just here and there piecemeal after running them out putting unfolding them snapping them in place and then a little bit of rain would come down and you know I would I would gather it up and wasn't a big it wasn't a big deal but it kept some plants alive and kept some fish alive and I was grateful for it, it kept me from having to go back and buy more water from the outside world uh, and the concept had been proven at a small scale, but really they were designed for for flood support for them to to be able to capture hundreds of gallons each and 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 therefore maybe even up to a thousand gallons between the two of them that are deployed, even though there's already pits dug for five. I just wanted to ease in with the cost and prove them out and um Lo and behold, yeah, they worked out during that storm and they they really, yeah, held up uh, against the winds and were able to hold without being puncturing or being ruptured with no underlayment. There's rocks and twigs and stuff down there. I tried my best to smooth it out with the sand, but I just had to kind of have faith that eventually I, I could trust myself to walk carefully on it so I could get better leverage on extracting from the bowl at the bottom where it, where it pulls up and just trust that the distribution of weight and the way that it's going to slowly, gently kind of work the weight down as it fills is going to not give it an acute kind of puncture effect. And and it's worked out. And I, I, I was able to, to fully harvest minus a, maybe a couple inches that, that were taken by the sun once the clouds all disappeared and the sun came back in full force i still ha I was still having to pace myself although the first day 
after the storm officially passed, that's when I went into beast mode, and that's when I that's when I injured myself in a way that luckily is not, was not itself an acute injury. It was more of a overexertion, repetitive injury that I'm going to talk about at length. That's going to be the bulk of this discussion because it completely transformed now the the nature of my existence, um, certainly operating alone and maybe hopefully only for weeks, but possibly even for months. And I had to be prepared for that. And I've, I've just the whole experiment, the whole project is how much can I push myself on the, to the limits of not just desert survival and wilderness, austere permaculture with minimal financing and, and uh, just my wits and some tools, really because I've spent a lot of time over the last, uh, well, really mainly since the pandemic, that's when I binged to catch up on the Survival Medicine Hour show with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and I think it's, it's definitely a one-way endorsement. I wouldn't ever expect them to look at what I'm doing and think that I, <laughs> I at all represent a, a good student of their, of their great works, but I did. I do, I have to say that I don't have much of an excuse to to victimize myself with some of the dumbest things that you could do, world's dumbest survivalists making type one medical errors, you know, that's, if I do that, then I, I have no excuse because I listen to their entire archive and I've owned one of their books and have read it and studied it. And um, I also have a bunch of other relevant materials that uh, haven't, I've been, I've been most religious about their materials but for me, the uh, the emphasis on on a a medical module of of even permaculture, like a permaculture design advanced course, where, for example, tactical permaculture to me that's what that's this is all about. It's adding a new layer. It's adding an additional. Um, value add bit of curricula on top of the distinct and set in stone 72 hour PDC course. So I'm out here to develop modules for my own research and development. And I think something that, yeah, obviously security and, and, and tactical training and all that stuff is, is not really a, at all addressed or covered in the, in the permaculture design course and it's certainly not addressed in the permaculture aspect of surviving in the wild and being a field operator very little of what permaculture has to offer exists in military and tactical training in the paramilitary uh private world private sector so <laughs> hence you have navy seals and army rangers making youtube videos together where all they do is make fun of eating eating the meals ready to eat or mres and talk about how it how it tears them up and how <laughs> it's uh yeah there's a lot to be there's a there's a lot of work cut out for permaculturists who want to to support our troops you know which i do
So that's why I'm willing to take risks and have this kind of survival medicine boot camp in the desert and takes and and because yeah I don't have I don't have a a blank check with the VA hospital but from what I hear that may not mean much because it sounds like it's kind of more of a pill mill and you don't get a lot of good attention and you don't have to watch that movie Jacob's Ladder to be mortified about the complaints about it I'm not going to say that all doctors in that system are bad and that no it's all corrupt but but again another another place for permaculture to step up um because the herbal medicine and the people care aspect so for me you know I would be with more help if I wasn't doing this as alone as I am I would pace myself more and it wouldn't have been such a critical mission for myself to go into that beast mode for that period of several hours those precious hours before the sun bakes you to death and you can't risk an injury by moving around and doing anything frenzied because if you twist an ankle or you drop and lose consciousness then you're going to wake up dead basically you're not going to wake up or you're going to wake up so close to death and so so eaten alive by by creatures out here that you're going to want to just have a quick death and so I live in that yeah I live with no no um safety net and no no guardrails so most of the time that makes me extremely risk averse I, I i i move like a tai chi old person and i try not to i don't run with scissors i don't i don't take a lot of you know manly type maneuvers and i even i'm even careful how i do my martial arts training because i don't want to train hard and have an injury and then have that injury make it impossible for me to take care of my sanitation needs or feed myself because I don't have the means to tap out and be on a crutch or in a wheelchair or something or go and get medical attention and be just sort of like sidelined the way most people in civilization that's just for granted you could be you know whatever it is playing tennis and it's just you just accept that you could pull a muscle and be debilitated and it's going to be expensive, but if you're broke, it doesn't really matter. You don't care. Many you may not get get the best care, but whether you're rich or poor, if you live in civilization, even if it takes a long time, even if it's not the best care, you're probably not going to die of a sprained ankle or something like that. Here, I will die if I lose consciousness during the summer outside of the shade, or I have an injury. And or I have an injury at a, at a range away from my medical tent amenities to where I cannot drag and crawl myself with whatever limbs I have available to me left. There's a window of time and there's a window of range of, of yards or feet that I have to stay on a tight leash to, certainly in the summer. So when I say that flood sport is deadly in the summer and deadly in the winter, the way that it's deadly in the winter, to just get that out of the way, is that, well, I just have to put on rain gear. If, if, I, want, if, I, if I didn't meticulously check the weather ahead of time so that I could deploy the catchment tarps well in advance of the storm, 
but it's happened before where out of nowhere flash flood warning that's the main indicator i do get those you know on the phone and i say that that's my call to action i i have to act on that no matter what whether it's a surprise or whether i'm happy because i already put the tarps out so whether it's the middle of the night or middle of the day fact is if i get wet in the winter even though the winters are relatively mild i'm it's going to be it's going to be hypothermia versus hyperthermia and uh and that just means i have the kit i have the gear to do that i've got goggles i got headlamp i got head to toe rain gear i got rubber boots i got gloves I'm well set up to handle that situation in the winter. And then it'll be cool enough to where I'm not going to be staggering with sun poisoning, heat illness, heat exhaustion, syncope, no blood pressure, falling and having to what I had to do this time, which, which really this was the first time in this whole now two and a half year project where it was possible for me to even have the opportunity to do this. So this was the first rodeo. And now, yeah, I got, (laughs) I don't know how the rodeo works. I don't know if you can like kind of win or something, but I mean, I, 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 if it's possible to, 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 to like two thirds or 75% win, but then, but then get bucked off and get, kind of badly injured but at least in a way that it's it'll kind of go away on its own and it's not permanent and you didn't like you didn't actually have to go to the hospital get surgery or or do permanent damage to something like the spine or or have neurological damage or something like that so with the winter risk out of the way knowing I'm doing my best all of my studies with survival medicine to, to understand the elements and and how to operate intelligently in balance with them in ways that <laughs> military generals of the world seem to defy throughout history. If you read histories of battles where they have people marching in, in, in the worst of the heat of the year with the most ridiculous regalia and absurd thick wool clothing and they all just drop dead. Half of their troops just drop dead way before they get to the, the battlefield. I mean... Hopefully that doesn't happen every day anymore, but given the climate change that we're experiencing, uh, I think it's, I already know it's the military who's going to be the most ahead of the game in terms of adapting to climate change because they don't have, they may be sickly, sadly, unfortunately serving the agenda of the corporations that are minimizing climate change and global warming and denying it. They'll be out there risking their lives and killing people and fighting wars to protect the corporations that are that are accelerating climate change but tactically they will be doing things to protect themselves because they will hopefully be smart enough to understand the kit and the and the the, the nuance of hours that are that are safe to operate versus not i mean that's not that's not rocket science but it's going to get the stakes are going to get a lot higher 
uh, as we get further into this. And I'm already, I say I'm on the front line of the climate war battlefield because I'm trying to operate the way that you would if you were behind enemy lines and training the indige as a Green Beret. And whether that's me living out a, a fantasy cosplay land or whatever, to me, that's just pure paramilitarism. I do it my way. I do it on my terms. And I'm, I teach the people I want to teach. I learn from the people I want to learn from. And I, and it's, it's, for me, it's, it's as much squared away as I want and none of the sir, yes, sir. So, you know, I know people who are, who feel like the military saved their lives, but who say now that they would not advise anyone to join it. Not just because of the woke stuff, but, but because of the politics and whatnot. So I'm just going to say I'm a patriot. I believe in national security and I want to optimize the survivability and the the battlefield success for myself and for everyone else. I choose to be on a battlefield of defending the earth from corporations and from gangs and from corrupt politicians and all of the forces of evil on earth that are damaging the earth. That's my war. And I'm a soldier in that war and I will die fighting in that war. And I will risk my life fighting in that war. And along the way, yeah, I'll write a book. I'll write books. I'll write memoirs. But right now, this is really about laboratory, deep field work, research and development, how to survive in austere settings and um, under extreme conditions. And so the extreme conditions that are happening now, is, it's, uh, well, you got what you wished for. You wanted to push yourself to the limits and do flood sport. Well, it was a play on words calling it flood sport because that was your favorite movie growing up and that's what got you into martial arts and training and made you want to make a make a masterpiece out of your body and have prowess as a warrior it all goes back to that watching that film and uh so to me it was a a clever play on words to say you know what it wasn't my path to be a muay thai fighter a karate champion an mma fighter even a soldier, that wasn't that, was, that wasn't my path. I chose a way to express my warrior energy, my defender energy in, in, in a different manner, but one that is no less demanding of physical prowess, one, one that's no less demanding of the capability of performing self-defense for myself and others. It's just not a performative or professional sportive activity for me to be a martial artist or to be a warrior. But what is my lane is being an eco-warrior and being close to the earth. And that means what I'm mostly fighting, it's not people. It's not in a ring. It's I'm fighting the, uh, the elements, but not against them. But I'm fighting to harmonize and work and to help them create more life and sustain my life. And to be humbled by them and to be in a dance and to be in, a, in, a, a, in that performative fight that is two kung fu masters agreeing not to just fight dirty and they're going to perform the art and that's going to be the highest the higher expression of of sacred or social or artistic violence uh they're going to they're going to take it to that level so for me this art form <laughs> it, it, it basically did almost cross the line it, it wasn't blood and gore don't worry i'm not gonna 
I'm not going to turn your stomach by explaining what 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 it is that I what it is that is the cliffhanger of how I was injured and what the nature of it is but basically it's as close as you can get to the real blood sport where where blood is spilt and and you're dealing with a a bleed out and a bleed out in a 115 degree plus daytime temperatures no less when you have all of these other heat illness factors compounding against you and you're trying to continue to exert yourself in order to get the mission and the job done. So what crept up on me was something that actually did happen. I'm just going to say what I've arrived at, the diagnosis of what it is from researching the symptoms. It was very quick that I was able to kind of reverse engineer the symptoms. And at first it was upper leg hematoma, meaning a fancy word for more significant, deeper tissue, uh, deeper, bigger blood vessel rupture causing bruising that's the kind you would get from a car accident or some other kind of acute impact or or more serious kind of fall but not just a normal contusion bruise where I don't know all the nuances of where these terms sort of phase into and out of each other in terms of severity but it's a bruise like a a black eye or a bruise like you a door kind of slammed on you or something like that Uh, that's usually just the outer outer layers of the skin where the smaller blood vessels they might leave a mark whatever the size of a baseball or something that's generally the average size unless you're being severely battered by an evil well any anyone doing extreme evil violent harm and they're battering you with weapons or even with fists continuously and profusely to where what what might just be a a golf ball or baseball sized bruise actually covers you know a whole side of your body for example usually for that would be considered to have hematoma meaning more serious more serious and basically internal bleeding in these in these uh in 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 the deeper tissues inside the muscles deeper below the skin from just an acute injury that is uh that is one of the two general permutations of of the the category of injury that i suffered and luckily I did not have a yeah, laceration or any kind of puncture wound or impalement to where I, I bled out. But essentially what ended up happening is I don't know how to measure the total amount, but I've got about, <laughs> I, I don't want to make a wrong guess, but I would, I would say that, that it, probably at least a pint of blood is just sagging in the form of giant black and purple bruises spanning all the way up and down 
both of my legs, although the left leg is far more discolored and more deeply discolored and, and more, more um, completely filled with those, with those, uh, with those colors and that, 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 uh, that loose blood. Um, whereas the right leg, it has maybe 20 to 30% of that, of that amount of, 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 um, surface area that's effect. Well, the whole leg is affected really underneath all the way down very deep. But, um, point being, how did that happen? It wasn't because I fell off of a roof or something like that. You know, it wasn't because I, because I, something heavy fell on me or something like that. It was actually this second permutation of a more, the more, the more clinically defined, um, understanding of of the this phenomenon that hematoma is basically part of it's basically just one of the one of the factors happening in what in what the, the, the clinical term is actually for me it's not acute it's it's rather exertional and it's exertional compartment syndrome which of all the medical conditions that I've that I'm aware of it's the least uh, indecipherable, but also is the least sort of intuitive what that possibly means. So I had to do a little bit of anatomy research and obviously read up on it because it was when I was describing the symptoms, that's what was quickly arrived at was, was this, 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 uh, this condition. So either, either or both chronic slash exertional compartment compartment syndrome and something I had never heard of before yet I did experience last year and it was in the winter and basically the 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 anecdotal kind of funny thing about it is that it's what it's what a lot of people would call a charlie horse or or mistake as a shin splint but it's more often like a charlie horse I remember from childhood older boys would play this game where they they punch you as hard as they could in the shoulder obviously in a way that wasn't going to do permanent damage, but it would kind of make you so you couldn't move your arm. And you, you, may, you may see a bruise from it eventually, but, but basically that's a very mild and very temporary and very fast relieving on its own form of this more serious situation, which basically is because it's not an acute blunt trauma kind of injury, it's repetitive stress of motion and happens often to marching soldiers I don't know what the statistics are across the different different demographics but cyclists runners marching soldiers those are those are the main people who are going to encounter this and and at the in the mildest sense it'll just kind of take them out of the game and sideline them or put them in the in the VA hospital or whatever for a period of time. And, uh, depending on the severity, I looked at it and it says, be prepared if you're not going to, if you're not going to get surgery to have it drained, which seemed to be undesirable, that it would be more desirable. And I I don't know, I'm not going to give medical advice by any means, but, um, for me, that's just not even, that's out of the question. 
That's, it's completely out of the question. And even if it wasn't the question, it would be out of the question. So obviously I'm fiending to find the how long do you have to wait for it to resolve on its own and what do you do in the meantime? And that's where I was happy to find references to at-home physical therapy methods and massage and uh, stretching and just having to adapt and really stay off of one or both legs if that's where it mainly happens in, in the legs um, where, where you're loading up your full body weight and all these very highly advanced technical mechanical ways on very nuanced bio machinery that is all of the muscles and ligaments and cartilage and whatever else i don't even i'm not going to embarrass myself trying to get started with with that stuff but but it's extremely humbling because you go from taking being upright for granted to being basically um without legs and uh and, and knowing that if you try to stand up and and extend your legs and walk because they're basically in a state of a, a sort of semi-permanent cramp where they're not fully extendable, I'm able to stretch, slowly breathe them into stretches and get them out fully extended, but I don't... I got to be careful not to hold that those positions for too long, otherwise weird things happen and to me the biggest fear and it, it, it seems to be ameliorated by what they're saying about it um, is that my biggest fear would be that that this build up this pooling of basically stagnant blood is going to do some kind of necrosis and do some kind of nerve damage and they say that it just takes time for it to basically be reabsorbed and dissolved and ultimately it'll be I mean, I assume it doesn't form any color, any necessarily any kind of discoloration in in bowel movements, but that I assume that it gets piped through the waste stream of the body and filtered as necessary and diverted where it needs to be diverted for the type of substance that it is, and that would just be with any kind of normal wear and tear within the digestive tract you know there's internal bleeding that happens all the time um obviously where it gets very problematic is if there's ever any kind of internal bleeding in in inside the skull but luckily that wasn't my situation but i do have the situation where it's not affecting my it's not it's not directly affecting my cognition or my neurology and luckily i don't have like really tormenting pins and needles although there's been a little bit of that and for the most part the saving grace of this whole thing is that even though there's this whatever pint-ish of blood for sure <laughs> about that much pulled up throughout the left leg from top to bottom and now I know what they mean by compartment because the word compartment refers to this sort of isolation between the different muscle groups around the body and every sort of set of muscles is, I don't know, I can't understand it. I don't really understand it visually, but I'm curious about it now. But it apparently, apparently there's kind of like a sack or a somehow a contained compartment that's somehow self-contained and that that 
that there's almost like a meat package <laughs> around around the muscles and I wouldn't have known that existed I would have just figured there was just free flowing of everything kind of in and out of everywhere but I'm noticing now that this this giant bruise that basically doesn't match the impact of an object as far as where it's located and the shape and size of it it's basically revealing itself as being the 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 uh it's basically defining the entire compartment the entire compartment that it's pulling up within so there's this perfect almost like maori tattoo of bruised blood <laughs> hematoma underneath my, the bottom of my thigh and where it just is by gravity there's there's quite there's still quite a bit of discoloration on the upper thigh on both the top and both sides a uh, little bit around the knee and then going down mainly the calf and a little bit at the ankle luckily not too much swelling but a little bit of tightness and certainly not full range of motion um, but that's that's that I've got this yeah, I, so what that what that translates into besides being obviously a situation where if you're laying down there's luckily to say like I said the saving grace is that it's not painful and I don't have the worst of the pins and needles and so I basically when I'm laying down I'm I'm, I'm in a resting position the muscles are at rest I basically feel cognitively fine and I don't feel any um, any pain or any discomfort having this condition but it might last for weeks or months now where that <laughs> where it becomes problematic is that if I try to load my upper body onto my pelvis using my legs <laughs> it's basically impossible and I've been I've forced myself to do it in order to take very strategic actions to just square away what I got to square away to reconsolidate and reconfigure my camp setup and my med tent setup so that basically for however long it takes I can be like a, a monkey in a jungle gym and just drag myself where I got to get to and do the business I got to do you know into and out of both ends if you know what I mean just hydration nourishment uh, sanitation I've got to do all of those chores and tasks without the use of my legs and I've got to and I've got I've had to be very measured and calculated with when and how and by what means I use this closing window of opportunity to push myself to wit's end and the extremes of of physical survivability to get that squaring away done before possibly the condition gets worse which I don't know if it will or not right now it feels after about almost a week to be stabilizing in the sense that it's not getting better or worse and nothing I seem to do with massaging and stretching and kind of trying to use some kind of magic to get the blood to start hurrying up and, and, and doing its thing and, and, and kind of flushing out and going away I've got other factors also working against me and that's where this gets really scary and really the stakes are so high because given my austere diet which leaves a lot to be desired I'm far far 
away from where I need to be with my permaculture oasis, I have a very simplified diet and I have a concern that I may not be manufacturing blood at, the, at a normal rate and I don't feel anemic. I feel pretty much great. I have felt great even through exertion. Um, yeah, because I, I built five of these giant ponds over the winter, you know, or three of, two or three over the last winter in total beast mode and I was getting ripped doing it. And there was, and I was stretching every day and uh, felt great. So I felt like I figured out how to have the most minimalistic diet of dark leafy greens and home homegrown herbs and uh, and and piscatarian meat in in the proper but minimal amounts, not excessive, and uh, the right area of the aquatic food chain to avoid too much mercury. And to me, I was getting to that point of feeling that I had really stripped away all of the non-nutrient dense empty calorie standard American diet foods and I was just a green lean machine and uh, and that, that's still the truth but I but then I have to worry also about well you know what I I kind of did over the last year say I think I'm ready because of that bravado to not have a multivitamin as a backup and now I realize you you should just even if people are skeptical about them or whatever just don't don't make that mistake again don't think you can lone wolf that you know i i would say I, that was a mistake i'm going to own up to and say that <laughs> i went back to my shopping list and i said that can't be one of those dumbass things that puts you in egregious violation of having known better from the survival medicine show they I don't remember exactly what exactly what brand they might have recommended or what show number they might have said, said something like that. But I know they wouldn't have said, yeah, go out and be and risk all kinds of danger by yourself and don't have any and then bring vitamins the first year and then don't and then let let them uh, don't replace them the next year because you feel like you don't you know, you wouldn't you might not need them because the thing that that has always got to be in the back of my mind and really in the front of my mind is that you can't, I cannot take for granted my ability. And I've, I said, I read somewhere recently, someone so, somewhere it said, we are all temporarily abled and that's humbling. And that's true because we're all going to end up being someone else's problem. If we don't die alone, some point in our lives, Te we are all only temporarily abled and out here I've got to really design in such a way that I anticipate with multiple layers of planning in advance the high potential that I could be in a situation whether it's food poisoning from some contamination of one of my weird fermentation experiments where I thought I got rid of the mold or I thought I correctly identified the mold as being harmless and but didn't scrape it all off perfectly and therefore I end up just having a not you know my stomach turned even then I don't want to defoul my nest so I've got to think through everything from how does your tiny home be like a a hippie soldier fort ambulance, you know, like that is 
within the budget that you really that you can actually afford and for me it's also like the diet it's it's been about taking things out of the first aid kit not putting more things in and relying on and i'm not giving that as medical advice but i'm saying just like in saving private ryan where he strips off half of his kit or whatever or more i don't know i can't remember what it was or how much it was but it was basically when you're in the field whatever it is that you're doing you're going to know what excessive weight is going to do to you ounces are going to feel like pounds and you're going to find ways to to intelligently minimize what is superfluous in your kit and so for me yeah when i say off-grid hippie soldier fort med tent uh ambulance there is some truth to it in the sense that it's rugged it's diy and it's austere and it's and it's um it's not meant to serve a whole platoon it's just meant for me to be what i can pack in and pack out and what i can work with and rely on and the concept of it being a situation where yeah whether it's an acute injury that causes disability as in a mobility uh, limitation a bro- something that causes me to be laid up other than just the sun which does that for three months out of the year effectively but something more acute where i mean at least with the sun when it goes down and the sun's over the horizon i can go out and do a few things you know i can i mean sometimes not to be tmi but but it's a good day when i don't have to make a bowel movement (laughs) in the middle of the in the middle of the day because as much as i'll put on all my sunshade equipment you just if, to be exposed in those in, in that direct sun for even a, a split second it just crushes your soul and um and so but there's redundancy in their scales so obviously if i were to be suffering an acute debilitating injury that i couldn't just have slight discomfort if i w- if i had to go out during the middle of the day and avoid all discomfort if I were to be lucky enough to have my BM <laughs> before the sun comes up or after it goes down, right? Then I have this privilege and luxury to kind of stroll across this cement pad with no concern whatsoever or haven't had a concern whatsoever that I'm that I'm just going to be immediately so pun- sun drunk and heat exhausted that I'm going to lose consciousness and fall and, and lose, knock my teeth out and crack my skull open on this cement. But this last cycle, because of this, basically, effectively, the blood is not out of my body, but it is no longer accessible for my heart to pump into this six foot tall body and get it up to the brain so guess what guess what that reduces to me to just basic physics basic uh hydrology if you will um yeah hydraulics basic basic hydraulics without a without a postgraduate degree in hydraulics if if i've got this stagnant entire uh at least pint or more across two legs of unusable blood that not only is unable to be pumped as it normally would be 
preferably in <laughs> temperatures below 90 degrees and I'm in temperatures up to 120 now, uh, out here. Those are the times where I really just cannot move whatsoever. But 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 in the morning and in the evening it's still going to be between 90 and 105 so that's when I at least won't be burnt directly by the sun that's when I got to square things away and uh and now it's not about just normal chores like having breakfast and tea and stretching and and doing some projects now it's triage of what what do I do in what order to basically reconfigure this camp so that there is no more walking this this what was a leisurely maybe 10 15 foot walk across a cement pad to get to where all my amenities are outside of my my sort of sleeping quarters and office uh in tiny home environment i have my sort of my kitchen bathroom pantry etc kind of set up offset by um where the garden is on top of uh, the garden dome is on top of the uh on top of the slab and uh and then that extra platform for my for my my dining and and uh sanitation whatnot that occurs on this other platform um but guess what it's you guessed it it's a mobility platform because i'll never go back (laughs) as a vehicle dweller i call it truck steading and therefore what did I have to do today against the worst of all possible up to the line of deadly permanent gnarly injuries that would force me to either literally just accept my fate and die or tap out and burn off my nest egg and go to the hospital because I pushed it too far and should have paced myself more and should have said, you know what? That rainwater, it felt like all the money in the world to me. And I felt like I was willing to do whatever it took to get it. But I also trust that my martial arts training keeps the ergonomics and the economy of motion and and all of my nuanced judgments and micro-movements of my body to be, to be correct. So, so to me, it's actually a win to say... I didn't, it wasn't because I, I made a dumb mistake. I didn't trip. I didn't slip. I didn't fall. And I don't, I'm not saying if you did, you're, you're a dumbass, but I certainly had done all those things too. But here I would not, here the art, the art is less is more in terms of not always exertion, but of course, certainly no exertion above a hundred degrees. You know what I mean? Um, you got to go hide in the shade and lay flat period until the sun drops and even if it's still 100 degrees you can do a couple of things but you cannot exert yourself so that may that that exertion happened but i did it in a way where i didn't i didn't uh use my body in a way that it wasn't intended to be used i just used it too much and too fast in the way that it was intended to be used hence this sort of elegant ninja beast mode. And I'm not saying that I'm the most elegant, non-clumsy person to ever walked the earth, but I'm saying that that is the only reason I trust myself out here to do this is because of all the Jeet Kune Do footwork, all the dancing I've done, 
otherwise I would not do this. I would be like, this, this is the most insane thing. You would have to be, you would have to know that you would be able to have some prowess in that, in that regard, which I, which I feel like I do. And if I didn't, this wouldn't be year two, this wouldn't be two and a half plus years into this project. Um, and so, you know, I'm doing some things wrong. I'm doing some things right, but no matter what, the thinking has always got to be everything works until it doesn't, including any aspect of your physiology. So anything just sort of falling out in terms of, yeah, from your teeth to your, to your, any of your organs and the, the digestive system, I've got to monitor things and I've got to be aware of things and I don't have a lot of high-tech equipment to do it. So it's very primitive, but but I have to always be thinking what what is the what is the fallback plan if if I lose mobility and I can't make that that journey between the two kind of main areas and I, you know, it's like having a yeah in most houses are not really medically optimized right I mean they're just not the 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 distances to things and the but in a perfect world, in a in a survival medicine and prepper prepper informed world, we wouldn't just have safe houses or safe rooms um, inside of rich people's houses if they're being robbed and they want to go and hide with their with their uh, with their safes and and their valuables and whatnot and have it be kind of almost impossible to break into. There's that consideration. That's certainly a tactical consideration, but a more survival medicine kind of consideration would be. I mean, if you ever go to a hospital, everything is configured to be wheelchair accessible. Everything is configured so that there's a handrail. And you may not necessarily install systems to to call for help or to pull pull on a line that says, I need assistance or whatever. But, but that's reasonable too. Maybe even an intercom if you're responsible and mature about it. But... There's a lot of retrofitting, retrofitting that needs to be done, not just for people out here in the steer wilderness like me, making a sport out of testing my tempting fate, but, but certainly, yeah, there are times where, where I would have been wanted to be more accommodated with something to throw up into, <laughs> just living in a normal place so there wasn't a nasty vomit stench and stain on carpet or something you know uh, or for there to be <laughs> more intelligent design around how dangerous bathroom surfaces are and how much glass there is in there I mean there's all kinds of things I'm not going to get started on it but I will say for me like this if anything beneficial comes out of me doing this hopefully it'll be that someday I will have some kind of backing financially and I can take the lessons I learned in my research and development and I can apply that to to overhauling the what we take for granted about about how much we um, abdicate and outsource to medical professionals and EMT personnel so if there's a way to make every room be secretly subtly operational as basically an ambulance without it being at all even perceived but that you just kind of like <laughs> you, you 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 pull a little tiny 
tab and then boom this whole this whole telescoping flexing kind of um system of pouches drops down and it's got a million first aid items and that just came out of the curtain or something like that to me that's actually how i live i mean where i'm at in my little tiny home i gotta economize on space and my first aid kit my individual first aid kit um that's has an auxiliary backup bulk materials uh in the overstock areas and a larger worksite construction type uh first aid kit but my the one that's on my belt next to my tourniquet that i'm looking at right now that's suspended with the carabiner off of the uh the side of the wall and uh and i can reach it laying down you know and i can reach water laying down i can reach my bio waste containment units laying down i can reach my what i call my spray on sweat <laughs> spritzer bottle uh, that's a combination of a little bit of salt and and just uh, 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 filtered water um, that i use to uh, avoid sweating out all my salts and all my and all my my precious h2o at night uh, if i wake up and i'm feeling like my face is on fire because my body's trying to cool itself in temperatures above 90 degrees then i just kind of almost without even having to open my eyes or i certainly keep my eyes closed while i'm doing it, i'll just hose myself down with that hopefully there's a bit of a breeze coming by and then i can go back to sleep so this idea of for some people the aesthetics are going to be the big deal breaker for me i this is the aesthetic that i want i mean i don't want an aesthetic of oh i'm pampered and everybody just kind of comes and does everything for me and so i can live in this kind of bubble of everything being nerfed you know I'm, I'm i'm interested in everything being basically the kit that's on you and the kit that's surrounding you and everything is well organized and squared away with paracord and carabiners and that's just a way of life that comes from being an outdoors person a camper someone who's either been in the military or done paramilitary training as i have with ex-military so that's what being squared away is and as squared away as i was up until this point i still cut that one big corner which was at at first and now i'm going to wrap up with this final lesson but um this is where today's sort of drama i'm gonna share <laughs> because what what good is all of this kind of technical minutia without a without a, a kind of a campfire horror story about it uh, but again <laughs> all the blood was on the inside and you can it's very visible on the surface of the skin now but it didn't bleed out anywhere so luckily there's no there's blood but there's no gore i would say in the story But the story is that as I discovered this, the, the scope of this injury and I couldn't shrug it off like I would almost anything else. Yeah, remembering that it did occur in winter last year when I was doing also a very concentrated multi, um, something that, that, uh, in a perfect world, you would phase out over weeks or months. But I basically, whatever it was, uh, 
something like a thousand, maybe a thousand gallons of water. I can't remember, can't remember the exact the exact number, but basically, basically, turning one of my trucks into a into a water truck, loading up all the tanks that I have, and making multiple trips back to back to to fill those up. And of course, filling those up wasn't an arduous task. It was just connecting a hose and uh, and and getting them filled. Um, where that is uh, a service that's provided um, for people who are off grid. There's different points where different municipalities, water districts will provide that service. Um, and it's totally cheap. It's bulk water. And yeah, I, don't, I mean, I've, I've used only a few dollars literally worth of it to get thousands of gallons uh, over the course of over a year or two now, actually, about, probably about two years now. But um, point being, I went on a mission because, well, it's a, it's a long story why I, I why I, I compressed all of that all of that water uh, tankage in in all those gallons into basically, I think, two nights of multiple trips, um, and obviously there's limits to how much you can carry at once in terms of the weight of the water. So, yeah, it was number of trips and getting the water into the tanks and out of the tanks. That was all, you know, either the pressurized pipes that I connected to with the with the a, uh, a non-toxic white garden hose, like a, a potable water hose connection. Um, that 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 force and that energy was provided by the the systems pressurizing it, so it wasn't causing injury to me to to do that or exertion. Um, and then filling the tanks in this sort of um, unload one, drop it down, unload the next one, drop it down, et cetera, et cetera. And this system of rotation that I had to do in order to, to be able to put the water into the, uh, the from, from the transportation tank to the long-term storage tank. And then that whole cycle, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, of a, uh, it's a bit, it's a bit complicated, but, but even that, the water is just gravity, gravity draining, gravity flowing from the truck to the tanks. Um, for the most part, they're, they're, they're situated in terms of height so that a grab, a simple gravity siphon pump um, hand pump, no, not even electrical, will will just get that job done. But what what happened to me that was totally anomalous, and it was the first time it had happened in my life, was basically what what was like that stiffening Charlie horse can't not really extremely painful, but kind of painful and really just weird because it feels like it felt like my entire lower left calf had just turned into, into a log, you know what I mean? Like it, it just, it had, it was rigid, it was thick, it was stuck, it, it, it could barely move. And I basically at a certain point, I just had to drag it around and pull myself around in order to get that, that mission accomplished. 
And, and I didn't, I couldn't figure out why it happened. I didn't fall. I didn't trip. I didn't bump in anything. And, and I just was unaware and naive of, the, of this phenomenon that, that, that essentially what it is, is it was a, it was because it went away by the next day, I didn't have to really adjust my entire life around it the way I have to, had to this time. But I had to remember, oh, wait, I, this isn't my first rodeo. This is my first big boy rodeo because that was a small kind of, kind of, um, uh, foreshadowing of what this, what, what, what can happen. And what it was, was that I was climbing in and out of that truck bed so many times to do all those tasks of, of repositioning the, the, the water hose and yeah, loading. I mean, that's, that's thousands of gallons of water and, and that's so many X number of, of trips of, of not using a ramp or a ladder to get into a a four by four that's pretty high off the ground, not one of those low ones, but a pretty high one. And that's just mechanical human effort on the, on really on the calves to do that. So yeah, it's, it's, it was an extreme, um, extreme application and concentration of effort that, uh, that would have been wiser to, to, um, to space out over time. And so that's, Another takeaway, obviously, is that probably, yeah, in this circumstance, what I should have been willing to do is say, it's not worth it to risk injury, go at a slow pace, even if you only end up getting 25% of the water that came down because there's nothing you can do about it. It's the, it's It's some of the worst heat of the summer and the heat waves just don't seem to stop it was 120 just a couple of few days after that storm that brought it down to maybe 80 for long enough for me to think that I could push myself to fill up I mean I I got yeah several hundred gallons out of that one tarp across a stock tank and a and a, a a plastic tank that's 200 gallons and I said to myself I am I'm gonna fill that stock tank and I'm gonna fill that 200 gallon plastic tank before the the heat comes back while the while the the moisture in in the soil or in the sand from that rain even if there's even if the sun's in the sky it's basically there's this fog mist and so I was able to seize that opportunity but what did I do I really uh uh despite myself I I overexerted myself and didn't have enough of a hard and painful lesson from just that kind of little Charlie horse one night last year in the winter, but it was exactly the same phenomenon of just too much beast mode and forgetting that if I, not, not just make a mistake, but if I kind of just push it too far and end up debilitated and immobilized, I don't have anyone to help me and I don't have, and I don't, I don't have, I'm not rich to buy my way out of this kind of situation. So yeah, that's the hard lesson is to, is to, even if it's, yeah, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna pacing myself, even when it feels like the stakes are high to do so, because there's value at risk. It's a lot more dangerous 
to push these limits because now I'm going to get into the story of how today was almost one of the deadliest days of my life. So the... Yeah, the narrative would be that um, that that as I as as I realized this was not gonna that this this was a once I determined what this was connected the dots with me having experienced it in a in a in a very short lived fast self resolving and mild format before and then having the terminology and kind of having some of a an estimate of like what the scope of it's going to be then i had to start saying to myself first of all the first i mean after i got the order of events since the the rain stopped was to fill those tanks and to basically take at least one of the at least at least one of those tarp catchment ponds and get all of that water out no matter how much it hurts to do it, I'm going to do it. And I did it. And I, and I don't think that's wise now. I think that was foolhardy and I'm paying the price for it. But I also know that the, the, uh, the paradoxical truth is that that water may be water that keeps me alive in circumstances that I don't foresee where it's not possible to leave here and get a resupply. So... You never know. In that Taoist sense, there's a lot of proverbs about don't think you know whether it's an ill fate or good luck or bad luck because right now, all I know is that, well, for one, I I survived today and what I did and the calculus I used to do it guaranteed dimensions of survival that I may, may be even less flexible on in the future like this is something where it wasn't a dumb injury it was just a a beast a, go, a beast mode injury and and if i'm if i if i'm very careful it won't it won't be a domino effect that's going to cause a whole bunch of other problems so i'm kind of like at peace with it but in order of events first priority was beast mode at all costs get at least one of those catchment tarp ponds totally moved by hand basically one to two gallons at a time lifting that water by myself now unlike connecting to pressurized pipes from the municipal water district uh this is literally old school primitive what our ancestors would have to do bailing water from the river or the well or whatever and uh yeah they probably were smarter and had more group dynamics and were singing songs and put it on their heads and made great pottery and (laughs) made a beautiful lifestyle but for me it's like i got i got a few hours before the sun is going to kill me and and i just gotta pound sand and drop to my knees and thighs and and use a a little metal dog bowl to fill these maybe gallon gallon and a half um galvanized pails they were actually beer ice coolers right and uh one of them even a couple of them even say corona on them which was a perfect uh sort of uh poetic feature but 
but that's the human scale thing. I'm not going to carry two five-gallon buckets. I mean, that's something I would have been stupid enough to do in my 20s, but no, five-gallon buckets filled with anything heavy are not ergonomically correct. These smaller pails, they, they truly are. They're balanced on both sides. And uh, yeah, some people would run a bar across them, put them across their shoulders. You know, for me, it was just quick and dirty. I use these things. I use them. I use them to dig the ponds out. I use them to get the water out of the dugout ponds. So they're my best friends. Um, but at the rate that I was having to use them, yep, I was able to push myself to where it goes from shouting profanities in some sort of sentence form to shouting one profanity over and over like a single word mantra to just shouting the vowel of the profanity in a constant tone so it becomes like a an om chant <laughs> that was like how i rode the dawn that day to fill up those tanks and to push myself and that was before that internal bleeding was really fully manifested it was just the early stages of it, like a lot of injuries, it doesn't really hurt until a few days later. And you can kind of get away with it and you're adrenalized and you're kind of in the zone, you're on the mission, whatever. Um, so I kind of thought I was fine. I was like, to me, all I care about is that I is that I, I accomplished this mission before 100 degrees, before the sun bakes off this this this, this fog. And, uh, and so to me, that was like, okay, mission accomplished. And then of course, I have to sit there knowing that there's another equally sized, fully functional rainwater catchment pond that is getting baked by the sun because once I have to go hide from the sun, there's no means for me to... to um... I thought about dragging the, the now emptied and, and dry tarp from tarp pond pit one or a and dragging that and sandwiching the tarp bit p uh b or two if you will um but i was already so tore up that i figured that was just not realistic and it would be unwieldy and and i also just realized that really the most important triage priority is to take that take that uh that tarp that i had liberated the water out of and just get it squared away and, and folded up and tucked away as soon as possible so that so that no matter what, at least one of them was taken off the, you know, the, the battlefield of risk for it to be damaged by, by, by coyotes or other critters messing with it or just more exposure to the sun um, without any cloud cover than I, than I would want. Um, so that was a priority and I, I, I made a video about that. I did that and, uh, uh, and then sort of parallel within, within that process, I, I, I figured that, uh, something was wrong. I was losing kind of power and consciousness and having extreme, um, major leaps in, in my heart rate and major drops in blood pressure more than usual, even in the cooler times of the day. So it was uncharacteristic for this to be happening, and I didn't know what was going on with the uh, with the exertional compartment syndrome yet. I was just thinking, okay, I'm you know, I got one pond done. Now I'm realizing that uh, having secured that water in the way that I have, 
I'm going to be willing to sacrifice a little bit more. I'll be willing to sacrifice or pace myself. Now I'm going to say at least I know that X number of months of crop growing and survival, hydration and sanitation water needs are squared away 100%. That buys me time maybe half of next year at least from just that one catchment of several hundred gallons. If you're frugal like me, you can make it last. So at least I had that security and it gave me a little bit more patience for myself to say, all right, let's, obviously I can't be squatting and, and, and hand, um, hand portioning the water from a bowl into these cans. I tried to mess with the, uh, so using solar powered charged, uh, bilge pump, but, uh, that, probably could have been a more professional model it was like a starter bilge pump and it just wasn't the right tool for the job um, though I thought it was going to save me and be my cheat but nope it, it died <laughs> and so and there's no replacing it now so what does that mean it means yep back to me and the hydrology the hydraulics the circulation the, the 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 heart pumping and the muscles muscularity and the temperature um moderation i gotta do it's all on me to get that water out of there and i'm fighting gravity and i'm fighting <laughs> still heat wave range temperatures and whatnot and those go around the clock so i'm not sleep sleeping properly i'm all tore up and so i finally got to a point with that second pond after hacking ways to at least get the water standing up using a pitchfork with a uh with a, a a teapot tied to it with uh with paracord so that I could stand up and get a little bit of water and then gently pour that up onto a funnel on a ladder and have that go into where the the galvanized tanks are and then I could slowly walk that back using this uh this cart that I built kind of Mad Max uh, post-apocalyptic truck wheel and, and bamboo handled uh, salvaged lumber cart that works the way that a wheelbarrow would but couldn't because it would just get stuck in the sand so that's why the truck spare tire became the the the, the uh, makeshift wheelbarrow wheel but between that which acts kind of like a walker for me so I've, I've got this kind of walker Mad Max wheelbarrow cart and I've got this ergonomic hack system where I can spare my exertion and still I got to a point where I could only do that one or two times and I was experiencing what I knew to be syncope meaning low blood pressure so that you're not getting oxygenated blood to the organs certainly not to the to the brain and that's where you where you start to see stars and drop and fall dead weight and end up impaled on something or blunt injured on falling on something and that's where that's that happens often uh in with people come out of the shower people often it happens they call it heat syncope if it's if it's caused by high temperatures that cause your blood vessels to vasodilate in order to relieve relieve heat 
in the body and to lower the body temperature by pushing and opening the capillaries so that the the heat in the blood comes closer to the surface that all is a factor of of uh, vasodilation which hydrologically speaking means you have lower blood pressure if your blood vessels are tighter you're going to have higher blood pressure so at normal temperatures uh that's not a problem but it becomes a problem where you can get dizzy lightheaded and pass out while trying to stand up just trying to lift your own body weight up to sit or stand up or come out of a hot shower or whatever i think we've all had experience of just just uh, oh my god i stood up too fast i'm dizzy well it's because there's your i can't remember the medical technical terms but you have stolic and diastolic I can't remember there's basically two blood pressure re- testings that they do one where you're laying down flat and that they had you laying down flat for whatever number of minutes before they do it and they want to get your you basically you're translated you're you're totally at rest laying down um resting heart rate and then and then your your or your, your blood pressure uh, and heart rate at uh, where you're standing up or you're sitting up. I've had that done a million times on me as a guinea pig doing medical studies. Um, and so, I'm, yeah, I'm aware of that, that somewhat the, the sort of range that you, that you should, you know, how, to, how to do a very low tech, just get your pulse and look at a stopwatch and extrapolate what your, what your heart rate is um, you're not going to get the same metrics of, of blood pressure, but you can at least get your, your heart rate. So without that cuff and that machine, um, they do your, get your, get your, uh, what do they call it? Your, uh, your vitals. Yeah, is what they call it. But, um, yeah, you can get the vital of at least your, your, your heart rate, obviously pretty easily, um, just by taking a smaller number of, of, seconds out of a minute and then counting the beats within that minute and then multiplying that to get to the full minute so what I was discovering was that I would be at in a resting state i.e. and just kind of getting my shoes on or drinking tea or whatever I would be at a normal resting uh, average adult a beat per minute a heart rate and then standing up just standing up let alone walking or lifting or doing anything i would immediately jump to over these last few days and i started to measure it i would immediately jump to my literal maximum medically conceivable maximum possible heart rate for my age and that's terrifying because that should not be happening so what is that what what does that mean why does it feel like when i stand up at all and do anything why does it feel like the closest analogy is like what it feels like when you have a vehicle and the alternator goes out and you lose most of the power but the battery has got just enough of its own sort of 
non-recharging power left to where all the lights get dim if it's at night you notice the lights are all dim and the inner the inner dashboard lights get dim and then you're able to drive about five miles an hour for about a couple of miles and you better pull over because you know you've done right so that's me right now and that's maybe for months because in order to effectively get that alternator replaced i'm gonna have to wait for this internal bleeding which doesn't seem to be continued but i don't want to risk it continuing it needs to stop heal and then it needs to just slowly get reabsorbed by the system and until then i'm gonna pray that in the next two weeks um it cools down enough to where i'm sleeping properly i'm resting properly and there's just less psychological torment to go along with this but that also the cool temperatures allow my sort of just general blood pressure to be um, increased to where this is on top of that now it's the worst of it's the it's a it's it's a compounding worst of all possible scenarios short of actually bleeding out and losing blood but effectively that blood is unusable and it's blocking and congesting the system therefore what would what feels like very extreme and acute heat syncope that would normally be you know just avoid avoid certain peak hours of heat and you'd be okay or take breaths and slowly stand up and it's fine you know that's not usually that hard to overcome um, if you know to expect it and but but in this state and i originally figured oh that must be what it is and i also i also figured maybe this is hyponatremia which i also self-diagnosed and fully experienced and that was a hundred percent guaranteed no false positive hypnotremia that happened last year and i talked about it on the show but it felt similar to that but it wasn't exactly that there were cramps but not the same types of cramps and this isn't going away and the this this dizziness when standing to the point where it's gotten down to where that window is shrinking and 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 like i said in this timeline i was able to get the water out of the first pond i was able to square away and care for and and store and maintain that tarp so it's usable in the future and then i tried to make a valiant effort to rescue the water in the second pond until i started to really feel that it was impossible to do it because i had no power to do it and i was my heart rate was going crazy and i figured this is really not good i had to start crawling on hands and knees to get back and forth and it's way beyond that range of safety that i mentioned in begin in the beginning so The strategy then was to do the triage and say the window of opportunity is 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 closing quickly rapidly i can't <laughs> i would be very foolish to over the value of a few hundred gallons of water which basically would cost maybe less than a dollar i mean it's less than a penny a gallon so whatever that is i mean it, it would be an absurd amount of modern world capital value to 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 be to risk death over at this point or worse injury if this if i got lucky and got away with something that might not be worse than it is and just get better but 
but knock me out of the game for a while. I just hope it doesn't rain again. <laughs> so like, don't rain until I'm healed, please. God, okay. But I, I basically decided I can't do this. What can I do? I'm going to fold that second tarp over onto itself, use a ratchet strap to secure it, and paracord into the, into the eye holes at, at, a, at a few points so that there's this, at least there's this, this water storage taco tarp that is just there and it's getting baked by the sun and it's being degraded by the UV and any coyote could come along and just for kicks and giggles bite or scratch a hole in it right in the middle and have the whole thing drain out in, in you know in a couple of hours and maybe I could patch it up later and use it again but that's my biggest fear is that I just hope that uh, I've seen the coyote tracks you know kind of go around it I'm hoping that it's just not their cup of tea they don't like the the plastic tarp which um, I don't like it either and one day we're gonna all be happy because it's gonna be bentonite clay sealing the ponds but that's probably tens of thousands of dollars away from my budget right now so let's pray that for as long as it takes for me to heal a it doesn't rain b that that all the water in that uh in that second pond tarp pond taco doesn't get either evaporated slowly but surely as it will or just punctured and and drained out um i'll be happy if if half of it is left by the time i can safely walk again um but that was that was leading up to today and what today was was a realization that uh after the study and understanding the scope of this injury that i got to deal with and realizing that this isn't something that you can just kind of like yeah i could use a a, sti- a bamboo pole or a shovel and give myself kind of a a mono crutch you know and i've had to because in order to you know do in order to get across that slab and get from one one uh living area to the to the other um i've had to uh yeah either crawl or or use that 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 stick or or a, ba- or a bamboo pole or a or a uh a shovel and then starting to realize hey you know what it'd be a lot smarter to know to not walk across that pad even though it's the the direct route and I would be taking more steps and doing more exertion and putting more time on that clock of possibly losing consciousness and blacking out and falling dead weight (laughs) that uh still the risk of falling dead weight either because I lose consciousness or because I just my legs just give out you know which is equally probable under these conditions at any time of day now and night i'm like no i'm gonna caution tape that off metaphorically speaking and and i'm gonna use this giant sandbox that i'm in which is my land in the desert it's a sandbox it's relatively safe to fall on and roll on and for the last week i've been dragging myself and crawling on all fours and dragging myself on my side depending on what my heart rate was and what my breath was doing and whether I was seeing stars or not 
Um, but yeah, today was to got to the final point where I said, you, you got not lazy, but you got a little bit complacent because I positioned that mobility platform in a, in a manner that gave me a more optimal view. And that is why in, in, a, in a normal cir- circumstance, you wouldn't think twice about doing that. You would say, oh, of course. I mean, it's like walking down the hall or walking across the living room to get from, you know, to, from the couch to the kitchen or whatever. You don't need to have, like, the kitchen set up so that you can reach the sink and the and the the countertop and the dining table from the couch like that's not realistic or reasonable for most people um and i'm not saying that that's called for in most circumstances but in these circumstances yeah it was it was a little bit complacent for me to be so luxuriant as to add that extra 10 to 15 feet so that I could situate my mobility platform where I have to go every day, you know, once, twice, three times a day for water and food and, you know, what else that has to be done. That that was situated in a place where where it was like an optimized view and as opposed to where it was literally situated where I could drag myself up and onto it from my normal... Well, or my 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 sleeping and, and computing space, which has was more more secure, more more kind of overbuilt, um, uh, smaller, but but it's it's um, it's the safest. It's the place where if I was really hurt or really sick, then I would have that that ambulance kind of setup going on. The thing was. Well, if this is going to last for weeks or months and the only way it's going to go away is if I don't walk on that leg, that basically means I have to do what would normally in a normal (laughs) day of anyone's life. Okay, so what does that entail? Okay, well, anything that's loose in that little kitchenette, jars and whatnot, well, yeah, tuck them away and square them away so that when you when you fire up that truck and you you move it in into a position where you can crawl in and out of it back and forth from your other your other unit um then you just uh yeah take five minutes and get everything secured and uh close up the the tailgate and then if you have to uh give it a jump because the temperatures out here just sap the battery even if you disconnect it so it's always i'm always keeping a a jump box uh on a solar feed every day um topped off so that's the saving grace for that but uh yeah simple enough yeah reconnect the battery yeah square away the back reconnect the battery set up the jumper fire it up let it run a little bit and then move it move it basically those 10 feet and you know and wiggle it around to get the right angle and then you're done well that ends up being a an arduous death-defying multi-stage process because there were a couple of objects that I had to clear out of that out of the path to do that and I was it was even in the earliest of the morning hours and I found myself 
in such humbled, crushed, soul crushing. It wasn't, it wasn't agony. It was just this sense that I can't believe how, how debilitating this, this condition is to, to be forced further and further, like face planting in the ground. And yeah, I have knee pads. So I'm like, okay, I get to have, I get to have like three seconds of upright 10% of body strength activity to kind of like drag something one inch. And then I get to be on my hands and knees and I can have 5% of body strength and I can drag it a half of it, a half an inch. So that was like, I don't know, at least an hour or two. And then of course, between each act of exertion, I've got to get off of the ground onto a platform and lay flat and huff and puff and try to get my heart rate down and hope that I didn't just pick up a bunch of ants in the process that are going to bite and sting the heck out of me while I have to just for several minutes kind of get back to a baseline and then do it again. So, of course, I'm thinking about how much sympathy I have with people, for people who have long COVID these days and the horror stories they talk about, the most mundane tasks that they were used to in their life being something they had to bargain and, and, and sort of trade and negotiate themselves with themselves to do because they knew if they did this, they wouldn't be able to do that for another five hours or something like that because they'd be so wiped out. And what they call post-exertional malaise, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I would say for me, thankfully, I don't even compare myself to that because the one thing that's interesting about this, I'm not going to say that it's like a, a bonus, but I'll say at least it's a, a little bit of a, a, uh, a, a bit of relief is that um, if I was able to complete a task as fractured as it was and I didn't die doing it and I could get back to that point of safety and be laid flat, that was like bliss, paradise, transcendental union with the divine for the psychological reasons that I survived that interval, but also the sense of just, this is the closest that I have ever felt to just the, um, the miracle that is the body's ability to adapt to these extreme conditions and, and, and walk itself back from the ledge of, uh, of, of these limits of, of, uh, of, of capacity. I mean, I don't know how to put it exactly other than that. And that the, the sort of, it was, a, it was a, it was not painful is I guess what I'm saying is once I got one, like the pain was in the fear and then the exertion of being at all, um, vertical at, at, at any angle. Once I got fully horizontal, no pain, no fear, rapid slowdown of, of in tandem with the controlled breathing to where I felt like this is that I, that I can, that I can feel safe replicating this, but I don't know for how long. And I don't know, I still can't ever trust that I won't lose consciousness or lose balance and end up impaling myself in this process. So it was painstaking to clear the path, to move the truck, and I, and I, and I only, and I was able to complete that task in the morning and then, it, and then, uh, 
just just having barely been able to square away the objects in the back of that that truck so that they wouldn't they wouldn't jostle around and, and break when the, when the truck got moved basically i got stuck with the heat coming up and it got to a point where it was it was unbearable and and i couldn't push it any further and i couldn't keep doing these cadence cycles so i had to just crawl and scooch back and leave unfortunately uh would never want to do this but left the hood of the truck open to just have all of the plastic in there which <laughs> sadly there's more than i'd like there to be um i hope we would design past that by now but anyway just full day of baking heat uv exposure and all that plastic luckily it's only one day and if i was a mechanic at a shop that didn't have a roof then it would just be you know normal but i'm trying to keep everything as shaded as i can so i was bummed that i had to abort that mission and just leave that leave that in 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 an incomplete state um and then i had to yeah decide to myself with myself do i wait until tomorrow morning when it's cool again or is it more advantageous and smarter to get into the final stage of this tonight even if it's over 100 degrees because at least if something happens to me i will have all night of the sun being gone and i'll have to maybe yeah be i mean i have to be worried about scorpions but at least i won't you know the odds of dying by death by scorpion versus death by sun it's probably a hundred to one even on the even even in the worst case scenario with the scorpions out here um and i would be stung and bit but if i were to be forced to be stuck laying on the desert sand for hours those hours have got to be at night they can't be during the day so it made sense for me to say just try to do what you got to do to finish the job it's it would take anybody else or me in any other time in my life five minutes to do this task move the truck 10 feet after jumping it and securing the stuff in the back and uh, of course even after i mentally drilled it i should have mentally drilled it a hundred times and drawn it out a hundred times because there were two tasks that were little nuanced tasks that i failed to do in my stupor of sun drunkenness where i was just just get it done just don't fall fall if you have to but fall safely and then and then drag yourself up the grill and 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 do this one little tiny task at a time but there were two tasks i'm not going to say what they are because they were so embarrassing and stupid that uh that that it would just be mortifying to say what they were but basically when i was where i was at i could have done it in one trip both in both places and it turned into two trips so it doubled the amount of movement amount of time vertical or semi-vertical and it brought me to a point where literally world's dumbest survival and survivalist <laughs> i ended up being forced to complete these tasks that i failed to complete when i should have under the circumstance that the that the vehicle was running and now i'm at like mouth level with the exhaust pipe crawling 
around this truck to do various tasks that I failed to do on both the front and back of the truck. And, and the most deadly of those tasks was actually, I guess I do have to admit it, lifting and shutting the tailgate because, you know, I realized, oh great, I squared everything away, but then I, I hopped off the tailgate and I didn't do what I, what I rehearsed my mind to do, which is the most obvious thing that you would do after securing everything to be kind of wedged up against it. Yeah, you're supposed to close the tailgate as soon as you get off of it. And then I realized, oh my God, no way. I'm going to have to crawl back there with, with the engine on, billowing carbon monoxide at face level. And I can't, I cannot stand. I literally cannot stand. At this point, I can only crawl. And when I, and if, if, if and when I get back to the cab of the truck, I'm going to be pulling myself with fractions of arm strength to get into that seat. And once I get into it, I'm laying, I'm, 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 I'm keeling over for at least five minutes to get my heart rate down to even be able to drive. Uh, but long story short, the stupidest and mo- most acute moment of danger was when I finally crawl and get back there right by the tailpipe and I'm sitting on the ground realizing that, uh, there is no way in hell that I have the strength. I can't even lift my body up at all to even kneel, okay? And if I were to kneel, I would be spinning from a Mike Tyson punch out to where I could only just barely get up to the height where it would be possible to do the maneuver. And at the point of barely getting up to that height, I would be forced back on the ground again. And I'm thinking... I'm glad this is not an an enclosed space, but under the circumstances, what if I just lose all strength and I'm sitting here and I can't move and I'm sucking carbon monoxide and, and I did, and I'm a good prepper. So I, I topped off the tank and, (laughs) and so that tank is going to go for a long time (laughs) idling and I'm going to be right there, unable to move and become less and less and less able to move. And I'm going to dive very calmly and peacefully, most likely. But, uh, but that was probably the, 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 yeah, the world's dumbest survivalist situation to be in. Luckily, the only thing that literally saved my life was the fact that I had built this little stepping, um, not a ladder, but a little, a little tiny little step stool platform, only a couple inches off the ground, just so I could have a slight bit of dissuasion when I'm doing some chores for the ants not to mess with me so I can stand on that little thing and also just a, it just makes it a little a little easier to hop on and off of the the tailgate so my thought was don't because you can't because you you, you, you the ergonomics of the situation are such that you cannot lift this tailgate from this height with the, with the, the, the little to no strength that you have and you've got this billowing pipe in your face. <laughs> and I, th- I thought, but wait a minute. Oh, I've learned over the last few days this little hack, which is that something magical happens when you just sit. When you sit versus kneel, it's, it's all a factor of how many 
of what the what the elevation of the heart is above above not sea level but in terms of let's say my feet or let's say definitely where the all that blood is pulled in my legs right so if i'm if i'm kneeling then that's a totally different ratio of the height of my well let me see if that's I'm probably going to mess it up here if I don't I will just say this no I'll just say this that um that I discovered that uh yeah kneeling would cause compression on those compartment internal bleeding um cavities or just just the the the, the uh all of that stagnant blood would get compressed and become painful and and and, and degrade the circulation and the and the the uh and the oxygenation so so yeah it, 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 i learned quickly that uh better to do things just kind of sitting back and letting your legs be loose in front of you rather than try to kneel and that'll make you slightly shorter because kneeling you have obviously more reach and you can do a lot more kneeling but but it's more sustainable and i and i, and I really would feel fine i feel fine sitting up and having breakfast, having tea, you know, doing whatever else that you do sitting up generally. Um, so I remembered that, and then I grabbed that little little flat stool platform thing, and I, I dragged, scooted myself up onto it, and that gave me those just couple of inches that I needed to be able to have the right mechanics with the minimal strength I had to barely be able to push that thing shut and then I had to literally at that point in the most crudest manner possible, not crawling on all fours, but literally dragging on on the left side of my body, dragging myself to get back to the cab, climb in, take that keeled over rest, and then drive home to my uh, salvation, which is this little jungle gym where... I'm laying down right now in my sleeping quarters and I reach up to a, a folded towel and that gives me the ability to move my whole body around in this small space just with the arm strength that I have. And the bar above it is the pull-up bar that I would use for non-medical emergencies but that comes in handy. It's like you wake up. Yeah, if you had a pull-up bar three feet above your head in your tiny home, then you would use it to work out, which I do. And then if you're sick or injured, like I am now, then it's a little bit, uh, then, then now I've, I've kind of extended its utility by wrapping a towel around it. And now that towel is what assists me to get on my, to get upright one little vertebrae at a time and allow me to scooch around a little bit. And then I've got other, webbing and other rope and and uh and whatnot to just be able to to use arm strength and minimal uh movements of uh of that that are easy on the back and easy on the pelvis and the legs and that now i've extended that originally that was how i had this configuration these two units were were jungle gym style connected to each other so that and that originally was um 
was just out of an abundance of caution. But like I said, I got a little complacent. I'm like, hmm, this is kind of a nice view over here. Seems like I'm doing fine. I'm going to be a little less paranoid. That was year one. And now I'm coming back full circle. And that's why I'm calling this medical fo force multiplier. You know, that, that med tent, field hospital, mobility platform <laughs> better, better not be A, a, a difficult to, 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 to access, you know what I mean? And so for me, there's a lot of stacked function in a permaculture sense. I've got a lot of things kind of origami together. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm into the aesthetic. I'm into that Mad Max water world, everything you need and only what you need is what is well organized in a basically a ship and i have a a, a land ship <laughs> and i had discombobulated that land ship in a way that i should not have and i almost died in this at the time of need to reposition that into a single um yet detachable land ship to where yeah obviously that's my water truck i go and i if, if it doesn't rain or if i fail to capture the rain or whatever then i have to go and get water if i want to continue this but if but if it rains my tanks are full i yeah hook it up into this force multiplied dual unit system and and then lo and behold i realize you know what the view isn't so bad. What I see now is less of the distant horizon and a little bit more of the actual Mad Max camp village that I've got here. But I'm but I'm I'm happy with it and I'm proud of it. And so for me to make it to the end of today, having squared that away, it was an, it was one of those survivalist lessons that don't. Yeah, take the worst case scenario and just let that be the standard and let that be the constant. And don't don't stray from that for any reason. Don't underbuild. Don't cut corners. You'll regret it. And and, and it can be it can be too late. You know, I wish I would have had this thought a couple of months ago saying, you know, if you suffer in these temperatures for any reason, injury, you're gonna want to have it configured the way it was originally configured to where you could, you could literally drag yourself between these units without having to be exposed to the sun, without having to be at risk of stumbling and injuring yourself or anything like that. And, and it was, um, yeah, it, it, it's just a, a, a wake-up call to not, not get complacent and, uh, and I really do embrace it. And I really, I really, for a lot of reasons now, I'm actually rethinking and saying, no, this is the right way to do it because actually this is more a, more, a, a better, more efficient, consolidated way to run a series of battery banks and solar panels. There's, there's better efficiencies on all levels, not just the medical dimension. So this is the right thing to do. And it was my vision to actually modularize this, this, this tactic and strategy and scale it out. So the next thing that I will 
that I will attach to this jungle gym of units is going to be is going to be a nursery and that'll be another mobility platform so that's already that was already part of the design for this to work out that way I just kind of strayed from it and I paid a price and it was a big price but hopefully let's pray that uh, that this situation resolves itself and that I will just be a um, yeah I'll be doing my yoga and my stretching and and rubbing some turmeric on these bruises and uh, and just trying to keep all weight off of them, knowing that I'm able to to do that time in this 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 landship um, the way that I when I was yeah more more cautious about everything that I that I was already intending it for it to be that to be that way and it was that way. So that's the full circle story. That was the the drama and uh, the stupidity. Um, but I, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't die. The world's dumbest survivalist, uh, <laughs> trying and failing to latch my tailgate while not being able to to lift myself above the the uh, the exhaust pipe, blowing, billowing carbon monoxide in my face. Uh, that's not how I died. Though it would have been better than any other way I could have died in the city because at least it was a valiant effort to to play the game of flood sport and win the prize of saying I was able to survive X number of years without having to suffer the indignities of operating in, in any way, shape, or form within civilization, which I, I strongly dislike. <laughs> but that's just me. Watch the movie uh, Whitewater Summer if you want if you want to have some grim, some laughs, but also some grim sort of reconciliation of this, this, this desire to rewild and the contradictions that arise with modernity. That is a very, very astute film. and has very, very famous and good actors and good acting in it. And it was one of my childhood favorites and I, I find myself really trying to navigate those archetypes and not be that guy and maybe accept that I need to be a little bit more of that guy and you know this and that but it's, it's very very <laughs> yeah if you haven't seen it and you're listening to me say this and you're wondering what to watch next if you can find Whitewater Summer it's Kevin Bacon and Sean Astin are the main characters and there's some other um, good good actors that I like that are not I guess A-listers or whatever, but or maybe they are. I don't know. But th those are the two. That's how you'd find it. Whitewater Summer, sometime in the '80s. Uh, Kevin Bacon and Sean Astin. Uh, but I, yeah, if you if you remember that and you're listening to this, and and or you take my suggestion that, that everybody should watch that, and and you're remembering what I'm talking about, it really is this fine line of how far do you push, going back to the wild before you end up just maimed by your own, not hubris, but just bravado or something, you know? So, <laughs> but for me, yeah, I, I've, I've chosen this. This is my chosen circumstance and I can laugh about it luckily because I'm reclined and I'm not in pain and I survived that very treacherous mission today which would have taken five minutes any other day of my life
and uh and been very non deadly but uh yeah is what it is and and if i if i heal from this 100% then it will all be for the best and it didn't kill me well it made me stronger it made me smarter it made me wiser and so if i think that's about it unless there's anything else worth noting um Nope, that's it. Be safe and don't take medical, financial, legal, spiritual, horticultural, or any other advice for me. Just sit back and laugh and sometimes watch me being the world's dumbest survivalist and yet somehow surviving, at least for now. Cheers. Cheers.